coming to you live from Plunkett Studios in beautiful Largo, Florida. We are keeping you plugged in with episode 446 of F5 Live Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. This week, Google scales back again, Nintendo might be returning to its roots, and YouTube claims it's not censoring contact. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here, and wherever you are, and however you're joining us, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Uh, whether it be Facebook, iTunes, the podcast play app in the Windows Store, uh, our homes on Livestream and Stitcher, or of course on our apps, plugkidslive.com slash apps. Thank you. Uh, if you're joining us live, which you can do Sunday nights at 9 p.m. by going to f5live.tv slash join us. You can chat with us in the studio right now and let us know uh, your take on the topics as we go. Of course, if you're not available Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, that's okay. You can subscribe to any of our shows by going to F5 Live and clicking the subscribe buttons on the right-hand side. From there, you can get to F5 Live, the Pilch Point with Avram Pilch, um, the special events feed, the 3000 Brigade, which is about to take a change uh, very soon. Our first look show, which will be coming back very soon with some new stuff. Uh, and our two or three new series, which are going to be launching in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're in the system. They're just currently hidden from you, which we're very excited about uh, starting up, including uh, one that I started filming this week. Uh, we're going to call it uh, Plug Hits Live Unboxed. Essentially, we're doing a lot of product reviews, and so we decided that uh, we'll start doing unboxing videos for the products before we even kind of know exactly what it is we're dealing with. So uh, that will be one of the series that will show up soon. Anyway, with that, uh, how are you doing, Abram? Great, great. This has been a lovely holiday weekend. I've had, I've slept almost the whole time. Have you? Yes, which for me is great because I really wanted to sleep. So, uh, you know, yeah, that may not sound as exciting as it is, but uh, but I totally understand. I basically did the same thing yesterday. So yeah, yesterday, yesterday, and to, and today, I I slept a lot, which is is good. I feel like alive again. Uh, so so that's really cool. Feeling uh, alive is a good thing. You know. Uh, <laughs> So it's uh, it's been fun, and we've had a very big week in tech last week. Um, you know, with the IFA show in Germany, lots of cool stuff announced, including Intel's new generation of processors. So, just a whole new ecosystem of stuff. Very cool. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a good few days for me. How about you? Um, yeah, uh, I did. I did kind of sleep through parts of yesterday um mostly because i had a headache though um yeah, well, I, actually the same thing i had the same headache well maybe it wasn't the same exact headache was yours here <laughs> um i have also i'm also about two and a half days into a uh external battery test for a phone oh cool so that's that's good it's actually the biggest battery we've tested it's a 12 amp external battery so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that one does. We've got a 10 amp that we did that did really well, but this particular company tends to be a little shaky on 
whether or not you actually get the full amount that they say that the battery holds. So it'll be interesting to see if this one changes because like when I've done reviews for them in the past, things that I've complained about, they've fixed on the next iteration <laughs> that's shown up on my desk. And so perhaps this time they will, uh, the one complaint I have left about their products is that the number on the box isn't what you actually get. So maybe this will be a change. It'll be kind of nice. It is, it is interesting to see, you know, the influence that you sometimes have as a tech journalist. Like you can't always say for sure why someone's changed something. Right. But, you know, having reviewed stuff for years from the same vendors and year after year you see them. And sometimes they'll say to you, well, like you guys, we got a lot of feedback. Like when you said the touchpad wasn't good. So, you know, try it now. So, you know, was it only us? I don't know. Was it us and a consensus of other people? Perhaps. Uh, but certainly, uh, certainly when you, um, you know, say things, people listen and that's cool. Yeah. I, it's one of the things that I find most not just interesting, but enjoyable about, you know, the things that we do is the fact that, you know, when things are wrong and you get the opportunity to, to say, Hey, this, this would be better if, and then you see that if happen. Yeah, it's it's good to see. Now, do they always listen? No. no. They should, but they don't. <laughs> Indeed. But that's okay. Uh, this company definitely seems to listen because the thing that I have in my possession right now addressed almost every complaint I've ever had with their products. We'll see if it addresses this one. Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> so I guess on that note... Uh, we should get into some actual tech news. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live are proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you are a student, small business, developer, consumer, Microsoft has something for you. Right now, you can save big on Surface, Xbox, PCs, basically everything in their Labor Day sale, which is running right now through, probably through tomorrow. So you'll definitely want to go check out all of the sales. But of course, uh, if you're a student, you can save $300. Yes, that is a different number than we've been saying the last couple of weeks. $300 on select Surface Pro 4s right now. And of course, the Xbox Design Lab is up and running and shipping those custom-designed Xbox One controllers right now. You can design yours and find out about the Labor Day sale by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. I'm not going to lie. <clears throat> I'd really like to have uh, like a plug hits live orange and green uh xbox one controller Ooh, that does sound good right one of, uh my colleagues uh my colleague mike andronico actually uh tested that program and he created a custom controller and uh, he loved it so that is a a beautiful thing i i actually saw the article <laughs> i think i'm pretty sure it was yeah. yours that i saw anyway um so Let's talk a little bit about Google and we'll talk about this topic and a little bit, another topic that
that we talked about last week that comes back a little bit later in the show. Um, Google has had a bit of a Yahoo-style product closure <laughs> cycle over the last couple of weeks, or at least product uh, shrink cycle, right? Uh, last week, we talked about uh, Google Fiber going from 1,000 employees down to 500 in the coming months, and that they may not be looking for new markets to expand into with traditional fiber. Um, this week, the news of uh, a division's trouble comes in the form of uh, Project Aura, which for those of you who may not know what it is, it is a it was designed to be a modular phone that, depending on where in the life cycle you read about it, it either allowed you to replace everything or Motorola style snap uh, additional capabilities on. Uh, if you had caught it early on in its life cycle, essentially everything from the processor and the screen through the camera and NFC capabilities and stuff like that, all of that was going to be replaceable at Google I.O. this year. They showed off a different version in which uh, most of that stuff was already built onto the base plate and you could Motorola style add new capabilities on. But unlike the the Moto, well, I don't even remember what the name of that phone is. Uh, the Moto Z and yeah. Moto Z Force. That's the one where you can, you've got like one expansion slot. This one gave you like six or eight, depending on how big of a screen base plate they were designing which is still a cool capability but not quite what the original was uh was marketed to be and uh this week none of that matters because project aura has been uh shelved either either shelved or taken off the books or they're not working on it right now the good news is that they are not getting rid of like they're not just putting the technology in a drawer and going all right well we got a whole bunch of patents sorry guys uh they're they're actually considering working with some of the partners that they'd already started working with like yes and you know companies like that uh to to maybe bring the technology to market on google branded because google does seem to have decided a different hardware strategy in the last just in the last couple of weeks, it seems like. Hmm. Well, I think Project R was always too good to be true <laughs> for me. And as the years went by, I mean, we've been hearing about it for, what, two, three years now? Yeah, I think, um, so. I think 2013 is when they first talked about it. Right. So, so like three years we've been hearing about this. And the most we've ever heard is, well, this is what it would look like. Here's like a model of what it would look like. Uh -huh. Um. This was always contrary. Like, I love Project Aura. Mm -hmm. I really wished it would happen because Project Aura does for mobile what many of us who love PCs have been able to do with the PC since like the 80s, right. which is build, build your own. Uh, and, but the era of build your own, build your own computer and build your, and, you know, the possibility of expanding that into build your own mobile computer or build your own phone. Is unfortunately that is unfortunately dwindling. Now, I say this as someone who loves to build computers, and uh, you know, Tom's Guide, where I where I work, we have our our sister site, part of our company. Tom's 
Tom's Hardware, which mm-hmm. is very popular, and a non-tech, which is very popular. Those two sites belong to our company. And I talk to those guys all the time. I idolize them and their work. And they review motherboards and CPUs, and people still can put things together. Fantastic. Unfortunately, the industry doesn't the the industry doesn't like that. Yeah. Like the people who make the motherboards obviously like it. But what I mean is the companies like Samsung and HTC, uh, and, and they don't I don't think they like the idea of build your own because they like to have control of the process. Like yeah. they, I think they like to have a monopoly on, you know, I'm going to make the phone. You can't just build it yourself. You can't just install software yourself, you know? Yeah. And, and if, if we build the phone from start to finish, then we can make deals with companies to pre-install software on the phone and we can make a little bit more money off of that. And you know, we can make deals with Verizon and AT&T on, you know, hardware now, kickbacks on sales. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. If, now, if they're in control, they can do. Now, some would argue, as I've heard this argument made, that, like, well, if you want something with interchangeable parts, it can't be as thin and light as something that's, like, unibody created to not be, not be serviced, to not be built. That may be true. But, you know, I'd certainly make the trade-off to have a little bit thicker phone to be able to swap things in and out. Yeah. But, unfortunately, you know, that's who has control of the industry. Besides that, on, on the other hand, there's also probably, looking at this from a business perspective, not a, a, a huge market for people who are going to say, like, well, you know what, I'm willing to have a little bit thicker phone or whatever so that i have control and i can to, can add and remove pieces like you know and then you look at it practically and it's like what are the pieces that you're going to be adding and removing well you know you're going to want to change the cpu because that's something that changes over time yep. you're going to want to change the screen so you know what is the part that you're going to hold on to that you know that's going i mean is it going to be a storage module is it going to be a battery module right now we have people like motorola sort of having a proprietary concept of of accessories right motorola has one and lg has another and hp has one right where it's like a proprietary thing and you and you slap something on the back um you know all, all that stuff we actually looked at, I think, I think there are also ones where you can get like a camera module for the back and things like that. So the Motorola just got a Hasselblad. Yeah, uh, the, that's what I'm, I'm talking. We have one of those in the office, the Hasselblad. So that's all very interesting. Unfortunately, it's not as good as if, let's say, the Hasselblad worked on any Android phone. Right. Um, so I'm sad to see it. I'm sad to see I really am, but I, I'm not surprised that it didn't make it because yeah. it's just not where the industry has been going. Not with phones and not with laptops either. Like, it would make infinitely more sense before you try and put this, make this, uh, you know, self-service. Yeah. How about you try to make a laptop self-service because that's that has a lot more to it. That it's bigger. It's a PC already. Like we know, people know how to build PCs. You know, in all my years, I think I've seen one or two attempts at giving someone a self-buildable laptop, mm-hmm. and and they were all terrible. Like, <laughs> yep, 
I, I believe OCZ had a kit a few years ago, like maybe seven or eight years ago, where they would sell you the body and then you could buy one of two CPUs and like one of two hard drives. It was it was pretty lame, you know, like yeah. it's certainly never been uh, it's never been full featured. It's never been, you know, like massively either marketed or successful, you know, and the, and it's a shame because yeah. I, I, I'd love to see that. I think that would be, you know, maybe that, that ship's probably sailed, but that would make you infinitely more sense because you, you really would want to pick out some things. Like, man, wouldn't you like to be able to pick out exactly which laptop keyboard you get? Yeah. Exactly which screen, exactly which chassis. It would make it it would make perfect sense. Yeah. You know what uh what I would settle for? Being able to replace the battery. Uh <laughs> That is certainly that is certainly a help. Um, so so you see, it, it is. I, I wasn't surprised to hear that this happened, but I was sad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, will we see somebody else pick it up and run with it? Uh, Yez is a company who has never been afraid to uh, to mess around with unproven technologies. They were the first to announce a Firefox phone, for example. Um, so, you know, Yez is, is certainly not afraid to play around with unproven technologies. So perhaps they who already had modules uh, ready for this, maybe they could pick up and license the technology and bring it to market. You know, if anybody, I think it might be them because <laughs> they're a strange company in a way that I love. Yeah, that I mean, that could be that could be cool. Uh, I mean, I think. Anything that Google could do to make it easier for people to, and I guess it's not that hard, but make it easier for people to like install Android on different hardware. I mean, you can download the Android open source project, but it's not so easy to like create a bootable Android PC or, or whatever on, on your own. I yeah. think driver issues. I mean, it, it would be interesting, let, let's say, if somebody took uh, one of those boards that are getting quite popular like the Arduino like a Raspberry, or a Raspberry Pi, Pi yeah or Raspberry Pi or, or something like that cuz those you, there those are a lot of different cases for and you can buy little screens for them we're able to turn that into you know into an Android phone that would be an interesting an interesting move might not be a very good one but it would be interesting you know if it's if it's capable of running uh Windows 10 on it i think i think it would be a decent product to be able to do that on and i know with the raspberry pi i just saw uh, a thing come through my feed last night that somebody has unofficially gotten uh, uh nougat running on the three so it, something like that could happen too but anyway we'll we'll see what happens uh we'll see if google is in actually interested in licensing or if they're just gonna sit on it there's kind of no telling but you know in time. This week's Pilch Point with Abram Pilch is proudly powered by Monster Products. These headphones I have on my head right now, the Monster Elements, available in five colors, uh, including the, the titanium that I have on, gold, rose gold, and uh, two versions of black. They're wonderful headphones, both corded and Bluetooth, uh, but 
Obviously, full over the head, over the ears are not what everybody wants. There are on ears, there are in ears, full wireless, full wired, all kinds of options. But the thing that sets monster headphones apart is the pure monster sound. The way that the producer wanted you to hear it is the way you're going to hear it. No extra bass, no extra treble, no extra anything, just the way it was produced. You can get that only from Monster by going to f5live.tv slash monster. Nope. That was the wrong song, but it's okay because this music means that it is time for the Pilch Point with online editorial director of Laptop Magazine and Tom's Guide, Abram Pilch. There he is. Hey. <laughs> hey. I'm still here. I hit the wrong button on the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You know what? That's it's not bad. We've been doing this for a hundred and I think tonight's 117 episodes or something like that. It's the first time I've hit the wrong button on the soundboard, so we're doing pretty well. Hey, yeah, not bad. Oh my goodness. All right. So uh, let's talk first about where people can find you, right? Ah, so. If you want to, uh, if you want to read all about what I'm about to talk about and some other cool stuff, check out laptopmag.com where we cover all types of mobile, te- all ki- types of tablets and laptops, uh, and Windows information. And uh, for the rest of our consumer tech stuff, definitely check out uh, tomsguide.com. Uh, and check me out on Twitter at Geek in Chief. And find you on Facebook by your name. Find, find me on Facebook by my name. It's probably actually the cooler stuff there. Um, Before we get started, for people who are in the chat room, we definitely want you uh, to interact with us. You can you can do that by going to plugitslive.com slash join us. Uh, definitely interact with us throughout the segment uh, because we're going to want your input on this as well. So... Uh, this was a big week. Um, in, uh, Intel formally announced. I mean, we've all known that they're having a seventh generation core processor. No kidding. They, uh, unlike Apple, Intel gives you a pretty good roadmap of what they're going to do, uh, so we know years in advance. You know what they're going to roughly what they're working on. Right. I mean, in the case of someone like Apple, we actually don't know if Apple will ever come out with another product again. Right. Like. They're they, supposedly ha- having an event this week, but they could say, just be having it to say hi. Exactly. I was going to say, this event this week could just be a, uh, hey, we're checking in. What do yeah. you think? Bye. They've never promised to make more products. I right. mean, they could decide that whatever they've done now is the penultimate technology and does not need to be improved upon ever. Um, I mean, and if you look at some of their MacBooks, they probably have decided that since <laughs> they haven't updated the, the design in years. Yeah. But uh, – to get away from Apple for a second. Uh, So Intel um, took the wraps off of um, its new seventh generation core processors, otherwise known as KB Lake uh, in the code word. Um, All the Intel processors, uh, for those who don't know, have some type of a like code code name. Um, So the sixth generation core, which is what people have now, our new products have now, uh, is Skylake. Before that, it was Broadwell, Haswell, was before Haswell. I don't remember. Um, Trying to remember. Anyway, they all have code words. Look it up on Wikipedia. Um, but 
anyway, so okay, so seventh generation core, new products that come out, new PCs that come out as of as of now, the new generation that's coming out this fall, um, are going to have the seventh gen core. What, why should you care? It's a little bit faster. Um, supposedly, and we haven't gotten any into test, uh, much more power efficient when it comes to playing video and much, much faster when it comes to things like 4K video playback and 4K video encoding uh, because it's got um, better video support built into the hardware. Um, supposedly also about 12% faster on everyday tasks um, if you have to the similar processor from, from last year. We shall see. Um, why consumers should care about these things is they are getting a little bit faster. Uh, but beyond that, it also anytime Intel comes out with a new chip, that's when the laptop makers and the desktop makers refresh all of their products. Like now that's they look at Intel. Oh, Intel came out with this stuff. Time for us to refresh our product line. So we've seen a lot of new laptops announced in the past week. Uh, we're going to see a nice flood of them by the holiday. Uh, but uh, business notebooks, we're probably not going to see any new ones, any refreshes of that until um, until next year because they haven't come out with the business commercial uh, CPUs yet. Now, there's somewhat of a controversy that we wrote about on Laptop Mag about the fact that Intel is, for the most part, basically killing the Core M brand. Now, a lot of people are, are confused about what Core M is or was. Have you tested a lot of Core M systems, Scott? Um, I have I have used some uh, here and there. Uh, I, in fact, I was just messing around with one at a client uh, recently, but I haven't done any like formal testing on them. Did Did you notice anything about the performance? Good, bad? Couldn't tell. It it felt like a tablet. <laughs> the performance has been. Were they? Do you know if they were Core M three, M five, or M seven? Do not remember. So, Core M has been around for about. And technically, I think the concept of it has been around even longer than the name. Core M has been around for about two generations now. Uh, I believe it was like 2014 when the first uh, Core M laptops and tablets came out. Uh, and then in the sixth generation, the most current generation, instead of just calling things Core M, they, they made a, a sort of um, three models, good, better, best, like they have with Core I. So it's Core M3, Core M5, Core M7. What is Core M? It's lower power processors. Um not quite as low a power or as um, low a performance as Intel Atom processors that you see in really cheap notebooks and tablets, and definitely not as powerful as Core i that you see in mainstream notebooks and tablets. The problem with Core M, so Core M is designed to make things nice and thin. Uh, if you look at something like the HP EliteBook Folio, which is a really nice thin laptop, it uses Core M. If you look at, there are some tablets that use Core M. And Core M is so uh, low power, it operates at um, a TDP. TDP is an industry technical term for, I think it's thermodynamic profile, uh, at 4.5 watts. Uh, 
the more watts, the hotter it can get, the less watts, but the less watts, the cooler, but the less powerful it is. So a regular Core i5 processor, which is sort of the mainstream standard for a laptop processor, is, is 15 watts. The four, um, Core M is 4.5 watts. Science says less watts, you can't go as fast, period. You can be nice and efficient and you know gain some speed that way, but it's not going to be quite as fast. So what we found over, the over time with Core M-based systems, of which there have been several, including some that were laptops. So you know, they touted it as being for thin tablets, but we've seen some that were laptops, thin and light laptops that had Core M including some very expensive ones, what we found is they're not cheaper. They are the same price or more expensive. Um, the Apple MacBook 12-inch has a Core M processor. The HP EliteBook Folio uh, has a Core M processor. Uh, the, there's the Asus, is it not the UX, is it the UX305? One of those Asus ZenBooks has it. Some of them get good battery life, but a lot of them get so-so battery life. Performance on computational tasks, like crunching a spreadsheet, is most definitely slower. Um, and in, and they're not always fanless. Like one of the things that you're supposed to get out of it being lower power is maybe you don't need an active cooling or a fan. So Corem has, has been used well on a few systems like the Folio, uh, but it's also been kind of disappointing and when you know that you when you know that you're getting you and as a consumer you ought to know what you're getting you ought to know that if this is what you're getting you know you're going to you're going to have you're going to have lesser performance you may be getting a thin system for that but you're not necessarily going to get good battery life because a lot of times they cut the size of the battery while they're cutting the size of the system so a great example of that is the um the Dell Latitude 13 7000 that we reviewed not long ago, which has a Core M processor, and the battery life was not very good and the performance is not very good, but it's well over a thousand dollars. So, um, so anyway, the reputation of Core M is a little bit mixed, to say the least, and I think a lot of consumers never quite never quite got the message about what it was in the first place. Now, with the new generation, Intel's changed the naming. Uh, the naming. So now things that were called Core M5 and Core M7 before will just be called Core i5 and Core i7, even though they have the same 4.5 watt processor. Core M3 will still remain. Which, um, which of all the weirdness that comes out of this, yeah. that's the strangest of all. That they're right. going to leave one of the three family, one of the three hierarchies intact right now if you're astute folks here's how you can tell whether you're actually getting a formerly known as core m this is like prince or something the processor formerly known as core m um uh if it has a y in the serial in the SKU number now a lot of people don't read the SKU number of their processor that they're getting in their laptop and a lot of websites don't even show it to you so, but if the number is say Core i5 7y54, why if like y is in is in that four digit number, it's usually the second digit. 
then you have a what's called a Y series, meaning you have the core M, the 4.5 watt. If you have a U at the end of the of the processor of the processor name, as in Core i5-7200U, um, that means you have regular 15 watt uh, processor. So why should you care? You're going to get significant, almost certainly going to get significantly better performance with the U, with the U series. And we think, uh, my colleague Andrew Friedman wrote an article about this, and, and I agree with him, I uh, think it's it's confusing because people, while Core M was probably confusing and a lot of people didn't know what it was, I think people now who are shopping for a computer won't necessarily know what they're, won't necessarily know, am I getting, am I getting the, the mainstream one or am I getting the low performance, low power one? And the low performance, low power one is not necessarily, you know, depending on how the system is built, the performance might be okay. The battery life might be okay, but you really are should be entitled to to some clarity there to know what you're getting, because you're definitely not getting equal performance. And a lot of the time, you've got two systems in the same size and price range that will have either one of these processors. And you know, as a consumer, it should be clearer to you. Yeah, while consumers may not have fully understood the difference between Core M and Core I, at least they were different names. And you could you could at least understand that there must be a difference between an M and an I. You may not know what it is, but you know it must be there. Now, uh well, this this is even more reason for you to make sure that you always read read the reviews at laptopmac.com because we will tell you what kind of performance you can expect and we'll tell you what CPU it has. But more importantly, the CPU is part of the performance, but obviously how they tune it, how you know the rest of the components in the system uh, go with it makes a big difference. We've seen some Core M systems that had pretty decent performance, like the HP Folio, book Folio. And we've seen, uh, provide that you get it with like the M7. Uh, and we've seen some that had pretty weak performance uh, and and everything in between. So it's, you know, I guess it, it, it really, you know, pays to, to read up before you buy something. But it's, it, it's, it's frustrating that Intel would do this. I mean, I, I think, I understand their reasoning. They think people don't understand the Core M. And one of their, um, counterpoints to to our our argument here is that there there are core i5 and core i7 processors that have quad core that have a different serial number too like if you if you buy a more powerful notebook you can get one with i think a core i5 or core i7 hq processor then it's an hq instead of u and that has quad core so they've they have used the names for a lot of different kinds of processors but the fact that they're doing it and they're sort of taking it going back with these ones that were low power, you know, is I think somewhat concern concerning. It's certainly um, weird. They like, also used to have that ULV processor, right? The ultra low voltage ones, mm. which I think are the ancestors of Core M. Like, I don't 
I'm I'm imagining, and we'll have to see that when you see the spec sheet, when you see it listed at BestBuy.com, when you go to the store and it's on the shelf, and you see a system that has one of these Y series processors, I don't think they're going to call it out for you. I don't th- think they're going to say it's a low voltage processor or it's a low, you know, whatever. I think they're just going to say it's Core Core i5. Yeah, I think you're right. So, thankfully, we have review sites like Laptop Mag that will go to the trouble to to call out the difference between the processors and have conversations like this to to try and help consumers understand that there is the possibility that you don't understand their naming convention. Yeah, very true. And, you know, we're not saying that they're all going to be bad. Like you might be it might be a perfectly good system with good enough performance and really lightweight. And that's great. But you ought to know what you're getting. Right. And, you know, for for some people, the the extended battery life of a lower wattage processor may be the thing like the selling point, which is fine. Not everybody is going to be doing, you know, big things with with their systems. You know, if you're playing, you're mostly playing solitaire on it. We'll have to see about that extended battery life, though, to be really frank with you we can go back and actually get the numbers somewhere but of the core m laptops that we tested Mm -hmm. very few of them had good had had really good battery life in fact their battery life was typically worse than a similarly configured core system so if they if they if they had better battery life i'd be much more gung-ho about this about much more bullish about the not about the naming because they should still be straightforward with you but about but about core m the fact is then most of the ones we tested, the battery life was lower or, you know, where Core I might have gotten 12 hours, this got eight or something like that. Uh-huh. So it, it it's probably not the processor's fault. It might be the fault of the manufacturer saying, well, we have this low power processor, so stick a tiny battery in there. But we sure. have yet to see one that has really good battery life. Fair enough. Understood. Well, as always, Avram, thank you for... Uh... For letting us know about a weird thing going on, because this is certainly something that people need to know about. Yep. So check it. So check out laptopmag.com uh, to learn more about the new Seven Gen Core series and what's good about it, uh, as well as what's challenging. And uh, to read all of our reviews of laptops, including hopefully soon uh, some that have these processors inside. Well, as a uh, as a reminder to our viewers, the Pilch Point will not be on next week, but we will be back in two weeks. And so, obviously, you'll be around for the rest of the main show, but for this one, we will see you in two weeks. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Tate's Comics. Tate's Comics is one of the largest uh, comic shops in the Southeast. It is an award winner, and it houses all kinds of events all the time, including one that happened today, which was their uh, Japanese uh, snack tasting event. Uh, You can basically anything you could ever want 
you can probably find it, Tate's. I have very infrequently gone looking for anything that was not available there. Um, so whether whether you're looking for comics or books or shirts or uh, Funko Pop figurines or whatever, if you are in uh, the area, definitely check out Tate's Comics in uh, Lauder Hill. And you can find out more by going to tatescomics.com. Which, by the way, is the shirt that I am wearing tonight as well. Awesome. <laughs> I am a big fan of Tate's, and they are a big... Uh, they are the primary sponsor of the 3000 Brigade show, which is one of the main reasons why we like to feature them. Anyway, cool. so staying on 3KB related stuff let's talk about nintendo and their next system which we know very little about uh however we do occasionally get little bits and pieces about this strangely secretive uh project from nintendo called the nintendo nx uh we know that the console is supposed to release uh in march of 2017 and that's kind of it. Um, there's not been a whole lot more information. Nintendo keeps saying that they're afraid of competitors, uh, whatever that means, uh, because Nintendo's never really been afraid of Microsoft or Sony, so I don't quite know who they might be afraid of in this particular case, but um, whatever. We do do a you case think Sony and Microsoft are going to come out with their new systems first? No. Oh, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about the the PlayStation Slim, that's probably going to be out this year. Yeah. Uh, in time for holidays, because there's already an accidental unboxing video. That's yeah, I saw that published. Whoops. Uh, so while Sony continues to say no, the PlayStation Four Slim isn't. No, no. There's a thing coming, but that's it's not that. There's a video of it in existence. <laughs> Whatever. Yep, I saw it. That's why I bring that up. And Microsoft has already launched its Slim, its S, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, yes, their second generations have certainly hit the will certainly hit the market before this March 2017, with Microsoft already out and the PlayStation 4 probably for the holidays. Um, but their like their secrecy is either based around a legitimate new fear which Nintendo has never had before, or they don't quite have a thing put together yet. Which is kind of my fear. Mm, yeah, I worry I worry about them, because everybody... I mean, I think most people think the Wii U was kind of a big disappointment. So... Uh, I, I said it the day they announced it. Nick and John were super excited about it. We were in the old studio... God, we were in the studio prior to this backdrop. We were in the super old studio, and Nick and John were both super excited about it. And I said, here's the problem. <laughs> There's only going to be one of those little tablets. They're like, no, no, no. You, you should be able to have... I'm like, no, no, no. I can tell you right now, there's only going to be one of those little tablets, and you're only going to be able to support one of them because you're putting the, the processor, the, the video processing on the console... And it's not going to be able to support that many external monitors, period. No, no, no. Oh, no. It's going to be a disappointment. Don't worry. And it was. But anyway, so with the NX, I think they're going to rush 
I, like they're rushing here in the end to try and come up with something. And with that comes a new rumor that uh, comes from a more credible source than usual, this time being the Wall Street Journal, which is a pretty pretty good place when you're talking business stuff, right? We're, we'll talk... The NX is theoretically going to be cartridge-based. Oh! Cartridge-based? Right? Which is... Holy cow! Initially, chuckling is the, the natural response, and then you think, well... The cost of, of flash memory has decreased significantly. You don't have to... It, flash is easier to flash rather than to, to burn uh, a disk. Plus, the content is not as easy to copy because you also have to be able to produce the physical cartridge in the style that the console accepts. So when you put that stuff together, it almost makes sense. Well, let me ask you this, because I had this discussion just the other day with Shri and Mike at, 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 our, at my job. Okay. Do you think, how long do you give physical media on consoles? Like, Shouldn't I, it all just be downloadable? I mean, I have a PlayStation 3, which is a second generation old, and a lot of stuff I can already I can download directly to the hard drive without buying physical media. Okay, so leading up to the E3 in which Microsoft and Sony announced the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4, uh, Nick and I predicted that neither of them would have uh, optical drives. Um, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest it, including um, a uh, filing with the government from Sony in which the PlayStation 4 did not have an optical drive. Um, and I think that the PlayStation 4 was supposed to not have an optical drive right up until about an hour before their presentation. <laughs> because they, did, they made a whole lot of changes in that hour before their presentation at E3. I think that's one of them. They changed the price. They also changed uh, what was going to be in the box. They made all those changes in the hour leading up to their presentation at E3 because of the response to Microsoft's presentation. So... I think that the PlayStation 4 was already supposed to not have physical media. Uh, and they backed out of it out of either fear of retribution from GameStop or something. I don't know. Um, but if, if all goes right, theoretically, this would be the last generation for Microsoft and Sony to have optical, hopefully. Um, but the thing is, Nintendo's virtual store has never been quite what the Xbox Live or PlayStation stores are. Not by a long shot. So Nintendo would have to make some pretty big changes to the way they do business to go that way, whereas Microsoft and Sony could literally, the PS4 Slim could come out without an optical drive, and you really wouldn't upset most people, I think. I mean, there's certainly, like, from a consumer perspective, there's certainly actually a lot of good reasons that you would still want to have physical media. Uh, you know, uh, for one, there's buying old, buying and trading old games with people. Mm -hmm. There's backward compatibility. Like, I had, well, there's not a lot of backward compatibility with last generation anyway. But, you know, there's bandwidth issues. So, 
Yeah, there, I, there's certainly reasons for it, but I think by the time the next generation hardware comes out, some of those considerations will be bandwidth and things like that. Some of those considerations might be muted some. Yeah, but the cartridge, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's just kind of funny. Right? You know? It Initially, when I heard it, I'm like, wait, what? You got to blow on it? Right? Are they just going nostalgia? What are we doing? Because... That'd be funny if that'd be funny. They should have. They should definitely do something with it where, where you have to blow on it. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like a joke or something. Like uh-huh. it comes in the package with some styrofoam on it, and you have to blow it off. Or, or maybe they build a breathalyzer into it or something <laughs> for part of the gameplay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Blow. You know the Xbox could never do anything like that because they'd lose most of their. <laughs> <laughs> most of their consumers, if they're the, most of their players, if there was a breathalyzer involved. <sighs> but but oh. anyway, yeah. I mean, Nintendo has uh, always blazed their own trail. Blazed their own trail. I mean, listen, it's it's cool that they've done things that others have not, like with the with the Wii motes, right? Um, getting people to be physically active with it and stuff. So. Uh, I give them I give them props for being different. Um, I guess the question for me for it's maybe a naive question, but for all the next gen consoles is what are you going to do with VR? Mm-hmm. Are you going to like PlayStation has that PlayStation VR coming? Yep. Not really sure what Xbox has in mind, if anything. Well, they've got. For- They've got Project Scorpio, which is their third generation Xbox One that is all about VR, but they won't talk about exactly what that means. Because I think VR is going to be a table stakes for gaming for a gaming console soon. I think you're right. You're going to have to do it. And uh, that's probably actually one of the best places to have it, to bring it into the home, uh, rather than connecting to the PC. Because, right. well, and that's, you know, you need... If you knew that your console had everything that you needed versus a lot of the, some PCs are VR ready and some are not. There's a lot so, of variables on the PC, but with the with the consoles, when you buy it, you know what it is. It, it is what it is, and the developers know what it is, and everybody goes into it knowing what's available. Also, I could be wrong, but it seems like you get more hardware for – more processing power for less with your console than you do with your PC. It certainly does seem that way. You know, like you, the kind of game that you could play on an Xbox One that costs what three or four hundred dollars now, versus what you can play on a four hundred dollar PC. Right. You know. Even like we've we've talked just like in the the laptop space, what the the average selling point on a laptop is, and it's above the the price of a Xbox right. or like PlayStation. Right. Four hundred twenty-five dollars is the right. average laptop selling price so you know take that 425 dollar laptop try playing uh the equivalent of xbox game on it and you can't so right you know it's it's probably a really inexpensive way to get um to get good quality vr into people's homes so uh, i'm excited to that's what i'll be looking at when i look at am i going to get a next generation console right who's going to give me the best vr experience totally agreed so it'll be interesting to see if if Nintendo has any thoughts in that, considering they tend to uh, to shy away from things that have been problems for them in the past, and VR 
was certainly a problem for them long ago and far away in a very red world. <laughs> oh, God, that was so bad. Yep. Do you ever think that Nintendo... Sorry, go ahead. No, no I was just going to say, this, did you ever think that Nintendo might divert, might uncouple their their IP from their hardware? Uh, they've got several mobile games with their IP. Yep. And uh, rumors circulating again about a uh, Netflix exclusive show based on the Zelda universe. So... They do seem to be decoupling their IP from from first party hardware. I I just want my VR Mario Kart, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, of of all the titles, that's the one that I want. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies, or, you know, let the professionals do it for you because that's what they get paid to do. The guys who used to do Mystery Science Theater 3000 are back and doing what they do best, making fun of movies. From, from blockbusters to time chasers, they've got a little bit of everything. The way it normally works is for 3 or $4, you uh, download the MP3, Played along with your DVD, Netflix, Amazon, wherever you happen to have the movie, and laugh and laugh. Uh, from time to time, they do uh, live events. What did we decide? The last one was Mothra, and we've got one coming up soon, which I do not remember what it was. Do you remember what it was, Avram? No. I don't either. Sorry. Carnival of Souls. Oh, Carnival of Souls. Oh, that's a really scary movie. <laughs> Coming to a theater near you. Um, in addition to the live events, they also have uh, their short films, in which they make fun of industry films and uh, those terrible actual films that you may have seen in school. Uh, those types of things. Uh, so to find out what shorts are available, what theaters you can see uh, Carnival of Souls, and what uh, movies they've made fun of, you can go to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X. I love their live events. October 27th and 31st, by the way, for Carnival of Souls. Um, so, we talked last week about the struggles that Google Fiber has had and some of our theories on why they may have had some issues. Uh, this week, something interesting happened. AT&T decided to, uh, to weigh in on why they, they think that Google Fiber has had the troubles that they've had with a blog post entitled Broadband Investment Not for the Faint of Heart. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's written by uh, Joan Marsh, uh, one of the uh, AT&T vice presidents who manages uh, like regulatory interests and stuff like that with the federal government, which is, of all the people to be writing about this, inside of AT&T, probably the most appropriate because one of the things that Google has had the most trouble with is understanding local, municipal, county, state, and federal laws on how things can and cannot be done, sometimes from block to block, and not understanding that literally 
going from one block to the next, you might have to get a different type of permit to drop the fiber. Uh, so, and, and that's a lot, the, the types of stuff that, uh, that the blog post talks about, uh, things like, uh, trying to deal with, with cities. Uh, there was, there was recently an instance where Google threatened the city of, uh, the city council of Nashville. They said they'd stop their build out if, uh, Google fiber wasn't allowed to, uh, to bypass, certain regulations uh and it's not the first time it's happened they've had other uh other uh run-ins with some of the cities in which they were uh trying to lay fiber uh i guess i guess it like in part google hasn't quite understood who owns the poles and the, the rules that go along with the polls and things like that. And so those things have been huge stumbling blocks. Either they didn't research, they figured we're Google people, just let us do whatever we want. And, and you know, if, if AT&T and Verizon aren't allowed to do whatever they want, who are the big telecom operators, then uh, somebody like Google is certainly not going to get special treatment, but they keep getting mad every time they don't get special treatment. So, well, doesn't this explain what we were talking about the other day about them trying to sort of pull out, pull out of do the infrastructure business? Uh huh. And their purchase of WebPass certainly suggests that they are tired of dealing with polls and regulations and all of that stuff. And with WebPass, it's mostly just licensing with the FCC, whom they already have a relationship with. Though yep. they do not have a relationship with the Nashville City Council, but they do have a relationship with the FCC. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot easier, less friction. So sure, less you know. less people involved, and it would suggest it, it would uh, kind of explain part of why Google thinks that they can continue the Google Fiber project while decreasing their staff by half. Yeah, I mean. I guess more power to them. I guess we'll see whether wireless can beat wired. Because right. they're, you know, it's hard to believe that even in this day and age where we have really good, you know, wireless technologies, that you're going to be able to handle that capacity without, without direct wiring to buildings. Uh, I will say that uh, hmm, that the uh, blog post did talk about WebPass. And uh, AT&T reminded uh, Google that AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and T-Mobile have been building their networks for decades. And it's still tough for them several decades in uh, trying to jump into it uh, cold is going to be a wake-up call as well. Yeah, I think... I think if Google is serious, Google does one of two things. I think they're going to try this. Um, you know, it could be, it, it could be tough for them because uh, there's still infrastructure that they have to build to to support the wireless too, all the mm -hmm. towers. Yep. So, you know, they they could give up, but on the other hand, they really are smart to be trying to, to at least own a piece of the infrastructure 
because if because with net neutrality regulations like it's good for them now you know but if that landscape changes at all they don't have control of the infrastructure but yeah. they're the mo- they're running the most popular web services around they're they're in some danger because they're relying on all these third parties to to basically treat them fairly um the other thing is they could acquire that try to acquire their way in and i would not at all be surprised if they if they bought um a cable company or something like that yeah so that they got their their piece of the infrastructure or maybe picked up a couple of small regional carriers you know time warner or something like that um you know it's still you know not going to give them the scale unless they had the money to acquire a comcast or something right but, yeah but uh but you know if they're a player it, it it could help their leverage you know sure all of a sudden now comcast which owns nbc has to say that has you know is relying on google to transmit to this number of of subscribers and right. Google's relying on Comcast to make sure that the connection to Google is good. So Yeah, now now there's now there's a uh, mutual benefit to working together. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Anyway, so it it's an interesting blog post. Um I've quoted some of my favorite parts of it, but there's a link to the full post. Um, on the upstream, it's definitely worth a read because, especially if you go into it knowing what it is, it's both informative and incredibly funny because they're like, you know, they, they talk about things that they've done themselves and shame on Google for doing it, but we've done it too. But shh. so if, if you go into it with a lot of knowledge, it's a really funny blog post. It's not supposed to be, but it is. This week's DRM not included on F5 Live is proudly powered by Groove Music. 40 plus million tracks available to stream to you right now on Windows, Windows Phone, Xbox 360, Xbox One, iOS, Android, or in your browser. Doesn't matter where you are, you can stream unlimited music for $9.99 a month. Plus, you get the ability to download on up to three devices because we've all been to the gym or on an airplane and needed our music but did not have it because streaming was not available because of aluminum roofs or whatever um so you can download unlimited on up to three devices obviously storage is your limiter but uh uh other than that you can you can literally download to your heart's content and i can tell you from personal experience in the last couple of weeks that Things that we have searched for in other platforms that were absolutely not available were all available to stream. Uh, obviously, within reason, because you're not going to find... Uh, what's her name? Uh, totally can't come up with her name right now. Uh, but Taylor Swift. That's the one. Taylor Swift. You're not going to find Taylor Swift, for the most part. But yeah, all kinds of obscure stuff we were looking for at an event recently was all available. And you can get your 30-day free trial by going to f5live.tv slash groove thank you with the help there abram <laughs> i usually forget taylor swift myself that's <laughs> uh, probably okay not ex- not my kind of music not to be mine either anyway so uh let's talk about youtube for a little bit because uh 
we haven't talked about YouTube in a while. Uh, uh, this week, an interesting video showed up kind of in everybody's uh, Facebook feed that is in my industry. Uh, it was from Philip DeFranco, who is one of the longest continuously running uh, YouTube shows on on the, the site. Uh, he does news. He does news without sugarcoating anything. He just gets right down to it. And uh, I've, I've watched him for a long time. Sometimes uh, the topics can be a little, maybe a little controversial. Not usually, but sometimes. Um, but controversial topics are part of the news. There's no way to get around it. Um, but he always handles it in a, in a good way. Well, he posted a video in which he talked about something that happened to him. And that was that a bunch of his videos, at the time, 12, had been demonetized, which means he could not run ads uh, before, during, or after and make any money on them, essentially meaning he had spent his time uh, for $0, which obviously is a problem because the reason why shows like ours and his are able to run is because for free you guys get to watch it for free is because there's advertising involved and it's you know it's a topic that avram and i talk about often uh, but we're going to talk about it from a different standpoint tonight which is kind of a fascinating place um google sent him an email saying that his video and at the time it was one in particular and eventually it grew to about 12 and then by the end of his kind of rage period uh, it had grown to 40 videos rage period yeah he was if you've seen the video he was pissed and for good reason that google was taking money from him uh for reasons that they were not explaining uh essentially they said that his videos were not advertiser friendly uh and if you went and watched the video in particular that he was talking about there was nothing advertiser unfriendly about it there was nothing in the tags, it was inappropriate. There, the only thing that it could have been was the actual content of the video, which was the news. So that was an interesting scenario. And as the next couple of days went on, he was not the only one to receive these emails. Uh, a number of people who do news-focused shows uh, had received these emails. And... One particular, I can't remember her name, but she's a YouTuber who does um, beauty stuff. I can't, for the life of me, come up with her name offhand right this second. Uh, but she received one of these on a video that, um, that showed, here it is, Melanie Murphy, a beauty and lifestyle video creator. Uh, she had a video in which uh, in the thumbnail, acne was visible. It's the only thing she can figure and that that was the reason because there's no bad language. It's a beauty video. What's not advertiser friendly about that? Go turn on the television right now and in the next 30 minutes, count how many health and beauty commercials you see. I don't care what network you turn to. Obviously, health and beauty videos are not going to be advertiser unfriendly it was just a weird thing um and so there's been 
a lot of conversation within the industry about what's happening. Um, Google has responded saying that they have not increased the number of videos being demonetized, which I will tell you, um, I will tell you that, uh, um, sorry, uh, Philip DeFranco will disagree with that statement, uh, because he had a whole bunch of videos demonetized, which were far and above what is normal. Uh, so anyway, Google has said that they are not demonetizing more videos than they have in the past. It's just simply that they have changed the way they've notified people. There are lots of people who disagree with this statement, but Google is currently sticking behind it. Mm. I have they do they have a general set of guidelines about what it takes to demonetize something? Very I mean, like what what the standards general. are? No, very general. I think it's yeah. I think it's I think it's definitely mm. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's it's kind of well. It makes it a little scary, right? Because if you're a YouTuber, you're relying on YouTube. You said um, that he couldn't he couldn't run ads, but if you're on YouTube, you're not the one running the ads. It's YouTube. Right, but you choose whether or not to join See, the monetization program. Yeah, I understand. But you're gonna if you're doing this for a living, you're gonna wanna to join it. Absolutely. But what what makes it interesting is let's say and most people don't have the network and the resources and whatever to sell to sell all kinds of video ads right. the way that YouTube can sell it at scale. Because, right. you know, you're gonna go to a bunch of advertisers and say, hey, I'm getting 500,000 views a month. Want to buy an ad for me? Like, no, you know, it helps YouTube that they have like million, billions or whatever of, of views. Right. So, at the, so, but the problem is if this were a traditional advertiser relationship and not a network, you'd hear from the advertiser themselves. There would be an advertiser who said, you know what? I don't like that you're saying X, Y, and Z in the video. And then you could appeal to them and be like, well, wait a second. Why don't you like this? What's wrong with this? Right. Uh, or I'll just find another advertiser if you can't support me. Whatever. What's happening here is that it's kind of a nameless, faceless like game of telephone. Like who who didn't, who didn't, is offended? Did somebody report this? Do you have a bot that is mistakenly reading something into my video? And can we talk about this? You know, like... That's the problem. You need a you need a human. Yeah. You know, you need humans. And I don't think Google likes to have humans uh for people to deal with. Yeah. You know. You need a human with human judgment to look at these things and if there's a problem to, to say it. Right. I think that I think that's one of the hardest things on the internet right now is the human judgment element of what is and is not appropriate content. This this applies to advertising. It applies to the content. It applies to social me social networking. Yep. Like, who? What's the judgment? Whose judgment? What's good? What's bad? What's acceptable? What's not? And you can't have computers or people who don't even look at the stuff and just click a button without even thinking. Uh, if 
you know, people who act like robots basically making these calls. Right, right. You know. Because the the, the concept, uh, uh, a video about rape, right? Let's say some some video talks about rape. Well, yeah. is it is it somebody advocating it or is it somebody reporting on one? Well, those are very different videos. You know, is it a is it a Gamergate video or is it somebody reporting on what is happening in Gamergate? Is it you know what I mean? So that's where the human judgment comes in. A robot can't just go, "Oh, I heard the word rape. The end. Bye-bye." I'm going to I'm going to tell you a little story without naming without naming names because oh. I don't know if it's if it would be bad to name names or not. I it don't think it fun. would be. I don't think it would be, but I'll just I'll just keep it. Sure. So so a website that I I I worked for um had put up an article had put up an article about a woman being mistakenly um not banned, like having her post mistakenly, uh, unlawfully, wrongly deleted from Facebook, um, because the peop- because someone had reported that there were uh, there was nudity in the picture, but there actually wasn't nudity in the picture, right? Okay. So in this news article about something being wrongly removed, we had the picture in question, which was a not nude picture of this woman that someone had reported as being nude. I think it was something like someone was in a bathtub and whatever, and they thought that they saw some, anyway. So our article was a news article about something that shouldn't, that was not nudity being, being wrongly removed from Facebook. Okay. We were part of an ad network so I'm not going to name the site I was working for. I'm not going to name the ad network. Sure. We are part of an ad network. The ad network people wrote us a note saying, we flagged this page as pornography. This news article is pornography. Remove our ad from the page or you're done. Um, there was no appeal to say, wait a second. This is actually an article about how it's not pornography and it's not nudity. And you, if you read the article, you would know, you would understand the great irony of what you're saying here, because it's about a picture that's not nude. But you looked at the picture, and you didn't read the article, and you are making the same dumb mistake that Facebook made, and we can't even appeal to your sanity. So, you know, what did we do? We pulled the ad off the article. Wow. What else to do? You know, was it worth, you know, getting into an argument with this company about... You know, when they paid us for their to run their ads for one article, no, no. But uh, unfortunately, but and this was an email that we received from a, a human at their at at the ad network. So, but they didn't want to be appealed to. You know, like don't don't talk to us. Just do what we say. So, so you know, I. Uh, I I understand so I, I I have empathy for what the people at YouTube are going through because I have gotten those kinds of messages and and as an editor it filters down to me too cuz right. like I don't get that mail cuz the advertisers the you know the people who deal with the advertising get those mails but then that kind of mail gets sent to me like 
Avram, what did you do? Yeah. How did you allow this nudity yeah. on our website? How could you have allowed this to get po posted? And it's like, wait a second. Did you read the article? It's about that there's not nudity. <laughs> the, whole point, the whole point of the article is that it's not nude. You know, I, it also has happened. It also – so and, – and that's not the only article of that, uh, you know, where we sure. were writing about a subject without actually engaging in the subject, you know, yeah. like – like you, you like you talk about and and got and got in trouble because the keyword was on the page mm -hmm. you know and um you know that's that's really that's that's really frightening it's like you write an article about be sure to avoid this porn spam and you get dinged because the word porn was on your page uh -huh. you know yeah we've we we've gone through that ourselves a little bit because uh you know the tech podcast network is a family friendly content and so we ha we have to abide by certain rules and you know occasionally we've talked about uh what was it the uh the company the the legal company that has that owns a whole bunch of a whole bunch of porn that they went and posted on on torrent sites and then sued the people who downloaded it Right. We we've talked about them a number of times. We've always had to be kind of careful about how we talked about it, so that we maintained that family friendly. It's difficult sometimes to talk about the concept of porn and keep it family friendly. But this is where you need humans to like to to review things. So like, right. you don't want a bot or a person who's basically mentally has the same mental capacity as a bot, an android. To, you know, to to be looking at stuff. Oh, I see a transcript of this. They use the word, you know, uh -huh. porn, or they use the word nudity without looking at the context of how it was being discussed. Yeah, you know? and and I'm I'm a little fearful that either that's what's happening here, or certainly less likely, but potentially, I guess, is that Google's trying to hold down certain content. I don't think that that's what it is, but it could be. Or it could be that they got a they got a complaint and they didn't actually really investigate it. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of hoping that that's where we are right now and that the appeals process will help resolve some of these process, problems. I mean, YouTube has a terrible reputation for DMCA takedowns too, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's you know, just they, they they go, "Oh, you claim to own this?" No, no need to prove it. We'll pull it down and we'll let them prove that it's not. Right, exactly. So, you know, I, 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 I kind of understand where YouTube is coming from. Like they don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to kill, kill the goose that laid the golden egg. They don't want to stand up for – it's easier for them to, uh, you know, to ups upset their content – Creators than than that they want to upset the people who pay them, uh, but they need to take a, a longer view about this. Like, it's a platform; the platform exists and gets traffic because of people like that. Do you really want them to take their business elsewhere? To take right. their videos elsewhere? They think right now that there's no elsewhere for those people to go, but I promise you, at some point there will be. Yeah, exactly, it, and it it won't take that long, if if they continue to be a problem for their content producers, it won't take long for Facebook to beef up their video platform. You know what I mean? Right.
you know. I so. mean, it's it's probably not going to be like Vimeo or something, but, but could it be Facebook? Yeah, it could be Facebook. Yeah, they're they're who I figure would probably take over. And that is our show. For those of you who joined us live, thank you. I know we had some people in and out of the chat room. Uh, in fact, uh, Trey, I think, was just commenting on our last topic where he said, sounds familiar. I wonder what we're sounds familiaring. Uh, so if you were in the chat room, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, if you did not join us live, that is okay. If you did join us live, the way you can uh, subscribe later is by going to f5live.tv, clicking the subscribe buttons on the right-hand side. From there, you can get to F5 Live Refreshing Technology, the Pilch Point with Avram Pilch, uh, the 3000 Brigade podcast. I pointed at my computer because that's where Trey is right this second, who, who is, has been the longtime host of the 3000 Brigade podcast, and uh, will be, he and I will be co-hosting the new version of it uh, coming soon. Uh, we've got... Uh, unboxed we've got the special events feed we've got first looks all of that is available by going to f5live.tv and clicking on the right hand side we've got some changes coming to the website in the very near future uh which we're pretty excited about uh there's a bit of a redesign and by a bit i mean a major redesign coming it'll be the first one in uh like five years or so so we're pretty excited about that. It's to go along with all of our new branding on all of our shows. Um, we've kind of just begun, but I think it's going to be a quick turnaround. And of course, we have ah uh, yes, con that shall not be named. We've got some new uh, we've got some new shows coming as we've talked about the new version of Who Thousand Brigade podcast, a show with no name, right the second uh, that will be very soon. I think. Uh, the 17th will be the day we record all of our episodes. We're very excited about it, and uh, we can't wait to share the new concepts with you. Uh, but on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avram. And next week, we will see you from Pinellas Comic and Maker Con. And Avram, we will see you back in the studio in two weeks. Ciao. Ciao.